0: Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome and today we have a gentleman who is temporarily located in New Brunswick, but is usually in Mark, Ontario, Canada, uh, Suleiman Ahmed and... We're gonna talk to him about several things. He runs a business called uh, Servo Annex, but he also does several things that are kind of a corporate social responsibility approach. So welcome, Suleiman.
1: Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me, and uh, i glad we had a second chance to do this when it wasn't quite working when I was on the road earlier
0: today. Okay. So let's start with your academic experience.
1: Well, I uh, went to school in the East Coast uh, at Dalhousie University. I did my undergrad there. Um, I was a visiting student at McGill and Concordia, and then later on I did my Master's of Computer Science at Dalhousie. Um, so that and five bucks uh, gets me a Starbucks somewhere, maybe
0: okay well you moved around for your education and that's the important thing so let's talk about your career now in terms of jobs uh some of those jobs may have been at uh, while you were going to university and then jobs that you had after university
1: um yeah so my first job i mean i I had different kinds of jobs i was a dishwasher and Soccer referee, but I guess my first full-time job was uh, while I was going to school and doing my undergrad, I worked full-time with Air Canada as a flight attendant. So if you can imagine someone going to school Monday to Thursday, like all of us do in university. Um, but then Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I went wherever the winds and crew scheduling sent me. Um, so that's what I did while I was going to school. And then once I finished my um, my master's, um, I then worked in e-commerce. After that, I had some stints at places like Sears, uh, at Apple. So I was fortunate to be at Apple when they launched the first iPhone, and then uh, worked at Harlequin. I wasn't quite good looking enough to be on the cover, so I worked in uh, digital for them instead. And then after that, I decided to um, uh, did did work with my first startup. And then about ten years ago, my wife and I launched our uh, launched our own business, Servo Annex, and we've been at that for almost ten years now.
0: Okay. Tell me a little bit about Servo Annex. What do you do in that business?
1: Well, so for Khadija, myself and Amanda who are on our team, we are firm, we're we're educators. We teach uh, digital, uh, e-commerce, and social media um, about the platforms and the various elements of it to, um, to specifically, um, sorry, I've got the family in the background. Um, uh with uh, we teach CEOs and presidents and senior executives on those platforms and how to use them so we're educators. So we quietly teach them um how to use them um from a leadership perspective and that's what we've been doing. So we're a boutique firm. Um we kind of work in the shadows and we only take clients on referral of clients.
0: Is that in Canada only or
1: no our clients are across I in fact uh, Got to see clients. Uh, we see clients across uh, Canada, the United States. Uh, we clients in Europe. Um, so it's uh, it's we we're, we're blessed to have a, a global client base now.
0: That's terrific. How big is your team?
1: Uh, we we have right now uh, four people on our team, and then and then on top of that, we have members of our advisory board as well. It's about ten nice. in total. Excellent.
0: Okay, so besides working on that uh, seven days a week. You also got into a number of uh, what I call social innovation ideas. So let's start first with Companion Champions. What's that organization?
1: Well, Companion Champions was a group founded uh, by a group of friends, a few of us in Markham. So Kimberly uh, Kimberly, uh, Clark, uh, Irene Dimoff, um, uh, a few yeah. other people like Mohammed Faki, who's founder of Paramount Foods, Amber MacArthur, Jennifer Evans, Dr. Kasha Prasada, and uh, Michael Glenn, who was the, our CTO. So basically, what happened was earlier this year, if some of your listeners will recall, there was a tragedy in London, Ontario, where a Muslim family was walking one evening um, and <laughs> someone basically ran them down and hit them with a, a vehicle. And killed the family and so one of the challenges that came from that was that um, a, a lot of people then uh, muslims particular people who are older may go out for walks and particularly in the summer months when it's you know warmer as opposed to the rest of the time in canada uh, where they were cooped up especially with covid uh, were are now afraid to go out and walk and so that kind of came to a head when one evening i was walking with my mom and she confided in me that if she wasn't walking with me or dad she wasn't comfortable going out for a walk herself and she, mom's a physician she's been in Canada for 50 years and for her to say that was I didn't think it was acceptable um, for a place like Canada so and then later I saw an article on CBC that said that there were other you know elderly folks who are Muslim uh, in BC who are afraid to go out and walk now so I thought this is not just an isolated issue or one person like my mom's feeling so I thought we need to do something and, and then you branch it out beyond anyone who's Muslim like I think in Canada if you have people who are Jewish, black or LGBTQ um, or indigenous um, or just people or seniors who are lonely um, or feel unsafe. I don't think anyone should to walk outside. So we decided to launch this initiative that you've named Companion Champions where anyone um, could volunteer to walk with someone or someone could ask for help for someone to walk with them within their own neighborhood and their own immediate community. And um, so rather than build the technology which Michael Lynn was going to do, Amber MacArthur suggested that we team up with Nextdoor Canada, uh, which has the app and the platform, and we partnered with them to launch this on their platform. Um, and so far, my understanding is over 3,000 people have either offered or accepted to go for walks. So this kind of little idea spread uh, pretty quickly. And I think it's good because, you know, I think, Uh, Particularly people who are um, uh, um, seniors or or our elders, we should be respectful because I think we can gain a lot from speaking and listening to them. Um, But I also think it opens up doors to people that are your neighbors who you wouldn't know. And I don't think anyone should feel unsafe. They should feel that they can walk outside. And I think it opens up other doors where people can contact their neighbors if they're in need of help or difficulty. So I think it's a win-win altogether. And this was just a little idea with a group of
0: friends and kind of took off. So this organization you partnered with tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about them. So Nextdoor
1: Canada is the Canadian division of Nextdoor. Uh, they're based in uh, the US and we worked with uh, Anthony Doyle and his team to partner with, with them so that it would we'd have an app or a platform where people could go on, it's free to register and sign up and then they could use the hashtag Companion Champions and either offer to go for a walk or offer to walk with someone who needed it. And um, we just decided since we're all volunteers, we're not making any money. It made sense to leverage the technology that was already existing um, as opposed to trying to create it from scratch. And they were great to partner up with. And so that's what we're doing. Excellent.
0: So is there any real cost involved in what you're doing? Uh, no, there's no cost for anyone who
1: wants to take advantage of uh, the, the initiative that's free for anyone who wants to go for a walk or needs, a help to, needs help to walk or someone wants to volunteer to assist them. Um, for us, I guess, for the volunteers, uh, there's a cost of, I suppose, our time or our energy or our ideas. But, you know, my view is in this country, if you have the opportunity and you're blessed with the bit, then you should try to give back. That's at least what my parents have imparted on me. And I know with Kimberly and Irene and Michael Glenn and Mohammed and Jen Evans and others, Andrew Bevan, we have all volunteered, Kasha Prasada, and others that um, they all feel the same way, and that's a shared belief. So,
0: Solomon, how do you market this service?
1: Well, we, we use social media. Um, so we have a uh, Twitter account, Facebook, Instagram, and then Nextdoor obviously promotes it to all their members. And so primarily through word of mouth has been the initiative. And then sometimes you just start an initiative and you – you know, uh, what happens, Peter, is you just let it grow and go from there, you know, and you, you let, let you know, some, some people who have, who have signed up for it have created posters and shared them in their neighbourhoods or created signs or things, and so my view is you don't want to control something. You let the idea grow, and then people take it and make it their own, and that's fine.
0: So, uh, Solomon, is this Ontario-based, or is it uh, beyond Ontario?
1: Well, all the people it started with were Ontario or Markham, but um, it's grown now and it's across the country from BC to Newfoundland it's happening uh, and, and to Nunavut. So I guess from sea to sea to sea.
0: Okay. So that's only one of your initiatives. <laughs> so you've also done something with PPE. Tell us about that experience.
1: Well, that was an initiative with my wife, Nija and a couple of friends, um, last year when the COVID-19, um, uh, you know, pandemic hit, uh, what we found out was a lot of our loved ones, family members, and friends who are working on the front lines in healthcare, either as doctors, nurses, PSWs, orderlies, um, they were not being provided enough PPE because the hospitals and or the governments weren't moving quick enough to provide it to them in an urgent situation. So we decided, was there something we could do? So we launched an organization, a group of us uh, called Conquer COVID-19. And the goal was really simple, was just to basically provide PPE to frontline healthcare workers where people could donate it. So we weren't, we're volunteering, we weren't making money off of this. And so many of us who are working full time, when we weren't working or busy with our children, our families, put our energy into this organization. So it became a bit of a full time gig because it started with six people and we grew within about four weeks to 120 volunteers across the country. And our first initiatives were providing PPE within Toronto or Markham, um, the GTA. Then it grew to sending PPE to Bob Cajun because if people recall, that's when that area um, just outside of Toronto got ravaged by COVID and especially the long-term care facilities. So we were sourcing PPE, gloves, masks, um, you know, um, all the uh, the necessary uh, equipment that they were needed, uh, gowns um, to... Uh, N95 masks, surgical masks, um, to support, um, you know, um, you know, sanitizer, hand sanitizer, so to support our healthcare workers. And it, honestly, Peter, I had no idea that it would grow the way it did. We grew from six volunteers to about almost 120, and we then had to become a non-for-profit because organizations and individuals uh, like the Thistledown Foundation wanted to donate to us. So we end up raising about in six months, uh, three million dollars. 2.4 million dollars rather and all of it we made no money off of it It was all given to charity through idrf so we didn't touch the funds um so everything was clean and and, and you know transparent and from the 2.4 million dollars that we raised we donated uh and distributed uh, over three million pieces of ppe equipment across the country and so that was all canadians working together to help canadians
0: how did you go about sourcing the ppe That's a great question. We had
1: people in our group who uh, had connections in sourcing PPE and at a decent cost. And then what happened was uh, the PPE, the bids that would come in would have to go through the charity IDRF. So there was no single source contracts or anything. They had to provide three separate bids. And then the charity decided which ones met the specs of requirements from a health perspective and from a pricing perspective. So it was responsible. And then they decided which bid was accepted, and then uh, you know awarded accordingly for the purchase. Once the purchase was done, then the the and with the supplies were, were acquired, they were then distributed. Either we distributed them through vehicles that Volvo Canada gave us a fleet of 18 cars, distributed across Ontario, or you know, their partner Purelater who were terrific. We then distributed and shipped it across the country, or 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 our other partner Bombardier, who um, shipped uh, the products across the country, especially uh, Nova Scotia.
0: Okay, so let's get something that's a little more personal to you, and that's this issue of the no-fly list. So tell me how that became an issue for you.
1: Well, that was about five years ago. Um, That one, I'll be honest, I kind of stumbled into it. (laughs) That seems to be a recurring theme. Um, So when our son Adam, who's now 12, we have three kids, um, when he was born in Toronto, Um, when he was six weeks old and he was visiting his grandparents out east, um, he was suddenly flagged. And that was the first time he had traveled because he was six weeks old. And the agent told my wife, well, your son's been flagged. And even the Air Canada agent was a bit incredulous. So we discovered at that point that our son was on Canada's no-fly list. And the reason for that was post-9-11, Canada created a no-fly list. But the problem was when they built the list, they only built it on name. So if someone named Peter Miller for perhaps... Another Peter Miller was involved with, to say the IRA or Sinn Féin. Anyone named Peter Miller was now on the list. In fact, former Toronto Mayor David Miller, I believe, was telling me or told one of our members um, that he was flagged at one point because that was a name on the list. I can tell you other names um, that 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 are um, that were on the list were Bill Graham's former cabinet minister. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know. Um, so. Um, Dave Matthews is another name on the list. So it's not just names that were Muslim or or Arab like Adam Ahmed, but, you know, other names as well were flagged. And so when we first thought it was just me, it, it came together when I was traveling with my son to the United States for a hockey game on December 31st. And when the agent wasn't looking, I turned a screen around, which said he was on the list. And I took a photo of it and I tweeted it out. And long story short, it kind of blew up and more people came forward and said, my son or our daughter's on the list. And we became a movement of families that came together, a group of friends, and we advocated and had a petition the Canadian government to effectively create a redress system. So if there was a false positive, like they had, they had a system, a redress system in the United States for 10 years, Canada should have the same. So if there is a false positive, you would receive a redress number, meaning in future, if you had to book, could enter that redress number and you'd be able to fly because often people were prevented from flying delayed from flying or worse the data was provided to foreign governments and then people were stopped elsewhere and then it happened to us where they confiscate your the passports or worse put you in jail so effectively this was a violation of canadian charter rights and we had to force the federal government to fix the problem ultimately through the help of many people and volunteers uh, we managed to do that
0: so a little more detail on that let's let's dig a little deeper when you, when you say you had to go to the uh, the federal government, does that mean a petition? Does that mean meeting with ministers? What does that mean?
1: Oh, it's a great question. It was all of the above. Um, we were fortunate, blessed to have legal counsel like Khalil Ghazar, who was with us for uh, the full five years, pro bono, advising us. Um, when we were meeting with the federal government, the prime minister's office, uh, Minister Goodale, Minister Phil Pott, Minister Morneau. We had to deal with public safety, finance, other departments. And, um, you know, other people were advising us as well as Greg Glenn, who's a a resident of Markham. He's a veteran lobbyist, so he was advising us pro bono. Uh, People like Lauren Ferraro, who's our speaking and media coach, because we're doing a lot of media attention as well, and then amplifying it on social media. People like Flavio Volpe, who's a veteran lobbyist. Uh, were advising us as well on how to deal with government and to advocate for it and then use the media to pressure them. And so it was a long journey. Um, We had to secure um, two-thirds of uh, support within Parliament, all the parties and leaders. So we had written support of 222 MPs out of about 300 and change. So that was two-thirds of Parliament. We had support in writing. Uh, We then had to secure uh, $81.4 million in the 2018 federal budget in order to build a redress system that public safety was required and said that was required. And then we had to advocate for Bill C-59 to pass in the Senate before the writ dropped, before the last election. So the legislative changes could have been done to legally allow this to happen. So that was a lot of work. Again, we're all volunteers. I can tell you that financially it had an impact on many of the families because no one was paying us to do this work. No one was paying us to travel Ottawa or meet people. No one was paying us to take days off. But we had to do this for our children because our research, we discovered alarmingly that over 100,000 Canadians were impacted by this issue. And so when people are a bit incredulous, um, I'll use an example like David Smith. If you go into the phone book or to Canada 411, how many people do you think are named David Smith or Dave Smith?
0: Almost as common as Peter Miller.
1: Exactly. And then you have a name like our group. We had three different boys named Adam Ahmed who are not related. So anyone named Adam Ahmed was flagged on the list. So it just became a bit ridiculous. And we were fortunate that we had multi-party support. And we also had uh, our, our lawyers uh, who also supported work with Khalid of Tories, uh, Danny Asaf and Sheila Block and their teams and their associates, Tories, who represented us pro bono. So we managed to convince the federal government to do the right thing. Um, and we're lucky that that happened.
0: So as a result, Solomon, you're... Your son is now off the no-fly list? No,
1: he's technically still on it, but he now has a redress number, which means that he is no longer flagged or identified as being, uh, you know, an aviation threat at the age of 12. Um, and and I, I think the benefit of that, if, you know, your listeners go on to Air Canada or WestJet and they try to book now, they'll see that there'll be a field now that's shows for, uh, you know, Canada travel number, CTN is what it's called, which is now allows people to travel without being blocked because the problem was we couldn't check in. We couldn't book online. You couldn't use the kiosk. You'd have to show up to the airports two hours in advance, which was often embarrassing because people are staring at you and looking at you like you're a criminal and uh, the ability to, or the ability to have mobility is a charter, right? That's enshrined for all Canadians and uh, effectively the federal government was violating that charter, right? Um, So, through the work of many people who would work together like Samir Khan, Heather Harder, uh, many other, uh, Karen Ahmed, many Aisha Vahidi, Ruby Aldi, like tons of parents who had just worked hundreds of hours. Don Matthews um, worked together to get this fixed. And, uh, you know, it's, I'll tell you, it's probably one of the best initiatives I've been or ever been part of or privileged to be
0: part of. So let's look at the future. Okay. A little visioning. (laughs) so servo annex let's start with the business first three Mm. years from today what's it going to look like
1: my hope is the same as it has been so far where we continue to quietly work with leaders and executives teaching them about tech and technology um through the initiatives of uh one of my colleagues amanda paul we're now building up a platform or curriculum online so Uh, that's allowing us to scale it. We're still going to have, I I guess, for lack of a better term, a white glove service where we work with executives one-on-one. But many times what tends to happen now is executives are like, well, we'd like you to teach all our employees. Uh, So we can't really scale ourselves, but we can provide the the curriculum that we've created online and it allows us to scale the business. So that's perhaps one piece of it. Um, And I suppose another sidearm from the work that our firm does is continuing to give back um in terms of the advocacy work that we do um it doesn't necessarily pay but we're not looking for it to pay we're just looking to give back and i think that there is a halo effect that tends to happen where leaders see that or our clients see it our partners see it and understand what our values are and um that just seems to be part of how we operate our, our business and i think how we operate as individuals or citizens of this country
0: well, that's what corporate social responsibility is. And it sounds like that's a strategy that you're building into uh, your planning and your execution.
1: I think so. I mean, we're we're educators. Um, you know, and sometimes the term that's made is those who can't do teach. but I believe that if we can execute and help other people, then it puts to proof that we can actually, Uh, you know, put our, I guess for lack of a better term, put our money where our mouth is, or we can show that our actions have led to positive change uh, using these digital platforms and tools. So all these initiatives, that's been a common theme. And then our our clients see that and hopefully they respect it. And then they say, okay, well, these guys aren't just teaching theory, but they understand the practical applications of it in terms of advocacy work and supporting other
0: people. Well, I wish you'd show some of the initiatives you that you have done on your website because i i i I think you've got a story to tell and i think in today's world executives uh look at corporate social responsibility as an important part of what you do you know
1: we haven't really it's funny you say that peter we haven't really put that on our website but maybe that's something i think i'll have to talk to uh my business partner, my wife, and, uh, it's a good suggestion to, to put that in there. I, I suppose part of the reason is, is you don't want to gloat or show off about it. Like, you know, my, my folks have taught me that, you know, the expression, the left hand, should never know what the right hand does, but I think you raise a good point, And perhaps it's something that's there, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's never been planned to be honest. A lot of times we, just tend to be somewhere as an idea happens and we just figure out, you know, if not you, then who? So we just tend to mobilize in action. And the consistent uh, theme through all these initiatives that I've done has been my wife, my business partner, Khadija. Um, You know, she's not one for accolades. She'll probably be annoyed that I'm mentioning her name right now, but, you know, we're a team and we work together and it's always been with a group of friends and other good people, whether it's been No Fly or Conquer COVID or Companion Champions. So, Um, You know, we just happen to be, um, you know, one spoke in a larger wheel.
0: Well, there's a lot of large corporations. For example, Walmart has a department of eight people Mm. in their corporate social responsibility area. And they put out an annual report. And this is just in Canada. Right. So I don't think you should be afraid to say what you do and let people recognize that it's a contribution, giving back to the community.
1: Thanks, uh, I guess uh, that's something I think uh, I'll have to, to give it some thought and I appreciate your, uh, your, your
0: your insights on that, thank you. Okay, so how do people reach first the business?
1: Um, so the first way through the business was the same way that you did. Um, our website is www.servoannex.com. so that's S-E-R-V-O-A-N-N-E-X.com. Um, that's the best way to reach us, our website, our phone number, email, we're all there. Um, you can also reach us, myself and my wife, uh, Kaji on LinkedIn. Um, we're also both on Twitter. So um, if you, or if you go to Google and you just type in my name, it's a bit unique in in how my mom got it spelled. So Solomon, S-U-L-E-M-A-A-N, and you should pretty much get the results. You you need to
0: contact me. Okay. Companion Champions. How do Mm -hmm. people reach that one?
1: So that website is uh, www.companionchampions.com. And that's my colleague, uh, Michael Glenn, who set that up, done a great job. Um, or they can download the Nextdoor Canada app. And if they just type in the hashtag companion champions, they'll be able to find other listings of that and how to get involved with that as well. Um, So that's how they look that up. And then um, uh, anyone who's uh, well conquer COVID-19 has now wrapped up its operations. So, um, but if they want to download the playbook in terms of how we did it. So if people want to understand how they can launch the initiative themselves, it's free um you know whether it's for other initiatives to in the battle against COVID-19 or to use it for other reasons for advocacy work or charity work or fundraising or disaster relief we created a playbook that shows how we did it it's downloadable there um and then we're not like doing PPE anymore or fundraising in that capacity and then uh the last one would be uh, the no fly list kids that's the website that my uh, co-founder Zamir khan launched which is uh noflylistkids.com so if anyone's impacted by the no fly list then we give direction on which department to contact and the federal government under transport canada and public safety and how they can address and get the redress number for themselves or the loved ones who may be impacted by that
0: based on your experience and your initiatives is there something burning inside you right now in terms of a new initiative that you'd <laughs> really like to uh, get into
1: um, not right now. Um, it's funny, uh, our, our, former MP was, uh, Minister Jane Philpott. She recently asked my wife and I the same question. Jane wanted to know. So what next? Um, I, I, don't know, but if history is any kind of precursor, um, I'm sure it'll hit us and my wife and I will end up working with friends again, but, um, you know, and sometimes it's not, big and frontline there's other things that we've done quietly on the side that we don't talk about, but those just happen to be, uh, you know, two or three initiatives that kind of, uh, got big really quickly. And, uh, you know, but I think what I would say to your listeners is whether it's big or small, um, whatever initiative that you can do as a form of giving back, I think is important. Um, and, uh, you know, it's allowed me to meet a lot of wonderful people now, including yourself. And, um, learning from a lot of people. And um, so uh, as long as I'm able to, we will continue to try to do that kind of thing.
0: So today we've had the pleasure of talking to a Markamite from Ontario, Suleiman Ahmed, and talk about his business and his wonderful initiatives. A great story and a great boss, meaning your wife. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for your time.
1: Thanks, Peter.